Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Washington Today for Monday, February 6th, 2023. I'm Gary Sterkoff. Thanks a lot for listening. The death toll continues to rise after a powerful 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit southeast Turkey and northern Syria early on Monday. President Biden has pledged full U.S. support in search and rescue efforts. In a statement, he said senior U.S. officials are coordinating with their Turkish counterparts to help the injured and displaced. He added that U.S.-supported humanitarian partners are also responding to the destruction in Syria. U.S. Navy recovery teams continue to comb the debris field for the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean on Saturday. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said recovering the equipment will take time, but ultimately help national security efforts. He added that the U.S. has already learned a lot just by watching the balloon move across the country. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is rejecting fears of a recession and says the economy remains strong and resilient. Her comments come after last week's jobs report showed that the economy added 517,000 new jobs in January. We'll hear more from her on the economy and raising the debt ceiling coming up. We begin in Turkey and Syria, where the death toll now stands at 2,700 as rescue efforts continue Rescue efforts continue following the strongest earthquake to hit the region in more than 100 years. Multiple strong aftershocks have been felt, including one measuring magnitude 7.5. With more on U.S. support for search, rescue, and recovery efforts, here's National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Uh, I want to stress again, as the president has already stressed, our deepest condolences uh, for the lost life uh, in Turkey uh, and in Syria today as a result uh, of these just devastating earthquakes. Um, I'll add that, you know, again, since the earliest reports uh, of these uh, quakes, uh, American officials have been working closely with uh, with Turkey, our NATO ally. Uh, senior American officials uh, reached out immediately to their Turkish counterparts to coordinate any, to coordinate any and all assistance. Um, I think, as you've seen, the president has authorized an immediate U.S. response. So right now, in addition to personnel currently on the ground, we are in the process of deploying additional teams, including two 79-person urban search and rescue teams to support Turkish search and rescue efforts uh, and to help address the needs of all those who have been hurt or displaced by the earthquake. Uh, USAID and the Pentagon are also now coordinating with their Turkish counterparts on additional assistance. Uh, And of course, U.S. supported humanitarian partners are going to be responding to the destruction inside Syria. So this is a very fluid situation. Things things are uh, moving. Conversations are happening. 
Um, so that is what we can report that we're doing right now. Um, and then as the uh, coming hours and, and days uh, uh, demand, uh, you know, we'll continue to have these conversations, uh, certainly with, uh, with our Turkish counterparts about uh, what, if any, additional steps might be welcome and needed from the United States. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, President Biden, also said in a statement that U.S.-supported humanitarian groups are also helping the rescue efforts in Syria. And Russian President Vladimir Putin announced 10 units of the Russian army will be helping in search and rescue operations in Syria. Back in the U.S., Navy recovery teams continue to comb the debris field for the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic Ocean on Saturday. U.S. Coast Guard teams have imposed a temporary security zone in the waters off South Carolina. In a conference call with reporters, Pentagon officials said they did not shoot down the balloon as it approached Alaska back in late January because it did not pose a military threat to the U.S. or Canada. Air Force General Glenn Van Herc, who leads the U.S. Northern Command and the North American Aerospace Defense Command, told reporters that the military knew the balloon was a spying device and it did not show any hostile intent when it flew over the Aleutian Islands on January 28th. He added the military officials took action to cover sensitive sites along the balloon's path to limit its effectiveness. Chinese officials have accused the U.S. of indiscriminate use of force in shooting down the balloon, saying the action, quote, seriously impacted and damaged both sides' efforts and progress in stabilizing Sino-U.S. relations. Here's more from John Kirby. I don't know if it's if you can quantify it, but how much uh, damage has been done to the U.S.-China relationship over this balloon? I would tell you this, Steve. Nothing's changed about the president's view that uh, that this isn't uh, a, a very important bilateral relationship, likely one of the most consequential in the world today, um, and that he continues to view this as a strategic competition. Uh, that, that we don't seek conflict with China. And nothing's changed about that. Uh, now, there's no question that relations between the U.S. and China, even before this incident, um, were tense. No question about that. In fact, that's one of the reasons why it was so important for the president to meet with President Xi at the G20 um, and, get, uh, and get our teams together to start working through um, how to restart some of these communication vehicles that the Chinese shut down in the wake of then Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. One was on climate, one was on military-to-military comms, uh, and that is, the, that is what Secretary Blinken was prepared to do as part of the tasking by President Biden uh, in his, in his uh, potential visit to Beijing, was to begin to, at their level, to work through some of those, those difficulties and find a way to, to uh, get the relationship on a better footing. Clearly, this incident uh, hasn't uh, helped that process. Uh, it just wasn't the appropriate thing for Secretary Blinken to do to, to visit Beijing in light of uh, this egregious violation uh, of our sovereign airspace. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's any other way to put it. I mean, this uh, this uh, balloon incident um, has has uh, has done nothing uh, to help improve U.S.-China bilateral relations. Um, uh, and uh, now is just not the appropriate time for us uh, to have those sort of face-to-face -face discussions with them uh, on larger diplomatic issues. Uh, but look, the visit was postponed. It wasn't canceled. Um, and as Secretary Blinken has said himself, uh, when the time is right, 
um, you know, he will begin discussing with the Chinese uh, uh, what a future visit uh, could look like. And I want to go back to what I said before. The most consequential bilateral relationship in the world today. And there are a lot of issues between the United States and China. Some of them we agree on. Some of them we don't. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. And we heard him mention Secretary of State Antony Blinken's now postponed trip to Beijing. Here's more on that from State Department spokesman Ned Price. President Biden is a big believer in personal diplomacy. Isn't it more important than ever to talk to China in person or even to confront China? Um, is there any preconditions to resume the talks? We, the, 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 the visit? we too uh, are big believers in dialogue and diplomacy. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's precisely why uh, Secretary Blinken and Deputy Secretary Sherman took part in the conversation with the uh, PRC embassy official here on Wednesday. It's precisely why Secretary Blinken picked up the phone on Friday morning to speak to Wang Yi. It's precisely why senior officials in this building uh, were in touch with PRC officials uh, and Officials in at our embassy in Beijing uh, have also been in touch uh, with PRC officials as well. Uh, we can convey messages in the near term uh, as we uh, emerge from uh, what has um, been a, a very public uh, incident between the United States and the PRC, uh, knowing that, yes, face-to-face uh, -face diplomacy in some ways is invaluable, but uh, in the near term, we were managing at the time what was an ongoing situation. Uh, we wanted to be very clear with the PRC uh, about our concerns, about uh, what this uh, could uh, lead to in terms of the action that uh, ultimately took place uh, on Saturday, uh, and the fact that this action seems to have, well, in fact did undermine uh, the point of the trip that the two presidents agreed to in November. Uh, you have to remember that Secretary's planned travel to Beijing uh, was an outgrowth of the multi-hour meeting that President Biden uh, and the President Xi of China had uh, in November of last year on the sidelines of the G20 in Bali. It was not uh, a meeting to have uh, discrete talks on uh, tactical issues, on just a few specifics here and there. Uh, this was to have been uh, a fairly broad, wide-ranging discussion on constructing a floor below the relationship and uh, where we can, uh, seeing to it, testing the proposition at least, uh, that we could uh, try to seek out additional cooperation in areas that are profoundly of interest to us and the rest of the world. Now, all of those things continue to be important, but uh, by taking the action that they did, by engaging in this flagrant violation of our national sovereignty, by taking this irresponsible and ultimately unacceptable act, uh, the PRC, in effect, undermined uh, the point of uh, what was to have been that face-to-face -face diplomacy. That in no way uh, devalues the importance, the indispensability of face-to-face -face diplomacy uh, in general. Uh, I suspect there will be opportunities going forward uh, for the secretary to engage in that face-to-face -face diplomacy. After all, we didn't cancel this meeting. We postponed it. Uh, we postponed it until such a time uh, where it would be appropriate for the secretary to travel to Beijing uh, to have the type of meeting that we hope to have, a meeting that could help to establish a floor uh, under the relationship and a meeting where we could discuss everything that's of interest to us and many issues that are of interest to the rest of the world as well. 
State Department spokesman Ned Price. And more reaction today coming in from Congress. Here's Senate Intelligence Committee member and Texas Republican John Cornyn. Well, I think it's an important reminder of how brazen uh, the People's Republic of China and the Chinese Communist Party are being when they uh, will send a uh, balloon uh, to surveil our uh, our, uh, our our nuclear defense sites um, in uh, Montana and elsewhere, um, and uh, and I think um, it's a, just like they're traversing the. South China Sea and blocking international commerce there. So I think in some ways it, it backfired, certainly on, on them. Probably didn't get a lot more surveillance or intelligence than some of their low-Earth orbit satellites that are already in the sky. But um, I thought it was pretty audacious. It was, and and I, I, I've trafficking in public opinion as I do. I heard people who said, "Ah, nothing." You know, we spy on each other all the time. Nothing to see here. Not a big deal. And then all the way up to people who said that it was treason and impeachable offense not to blow it out of the sky. I this balloon is 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 not the kind of thing to keep you awake at night. But the Chinese communist designs on our intel are, and this was not the the EMP electromagnetic pulse weapon that uh, is written about in various, uh, you know, Tom Clancy style movie scripts. But I don't trust him, Senator. I don't trust him. And I think that's why the, the, the next balloon, if there is one, needs to be blown up a, a little more promptly. Well, I agree with Tom Cotton, who I serve with on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, President Biden should have taken this out over the Aleutian Islands, which are near Alaska. And um, before it uh, traversed the uh, continental United States, um, it, but this is pretty typical of President Biden. He, he, he sometimes gets to the right answer, but uh, in this case, he should have acted earlier. He's... But I, I, do, I do think, Mark, that you know, people do need to be aware that this is the single biggest threat um, to world peace, this competition now with the newly in, emboldened uh, China and Chinese Communist Party. So uh, to that extent, um, I think it was an important reminder of, of how aggressive they, they are. Senate Intelligence Committee member and Texas Republican John Cornyn on The Mark Davis Show on 660 AM, The Answer in Dallas. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is rejecting fears of a recession and says the economy remains strong and resilient. Her comments come after last week's jobs report showed that the economy added 517,000 new jobs in January, dropping the unemployment rate to a near historic low and a day before President Biden's State of the Union address. Those jobs numbers seem to defy predictions of a recession this year. Do you still think one is likely? Well, look, you don't have a recession when you have 500,000 jobs and the lowest unemployment rate in more than 50 years. So what I see is um, a path in which inflation is declining significantly and the economy is remaining strong. And um, really, that's a path I believe is possible and um, it's, it's what I'm hoping we will be able fin to achieve. Finally, are you confident we're going to afford default and have this debt limit showdown resolved? America has paid all of its bills on time since 1789, and not to do so would produce an economic and financial catastrophe. And um, every responsible member of Congress um, must agree to raise 
the debt ceiling. It's something that simply can't be negotiable. And while it, sometimes we've gone up to the wire, it's something that Congress has always recognized their responsibility needs to do again. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on ABC's Good Morning America. Both the House and Senate are back in session this week. We'll have a look ahead at their plans in just a few minutes. Today, the House Ways and Means Committee held its first hearing of the 118th Congress at a hardwood and lumber products company in Petersburg, West Virginia. Here's the committee's new chair, Republican Jason Smith of Missouri. But over the last few years, this committee's work and that of Congress has drifted from the needs of these good people. We must course correct. We must prioritize the voices in rooms like this one and not those of the Washington political class. We will hear today about the state of the American economy, and it is in danger. Historic inflation, high energy bills, declining real wages, labor shortages, spikes in interest rates, the supply chain crisis, China's unfair trade practices, and so much more. These are some of the challenges confronting working families that Republicans will work to solve. If we want to put our nation on sounder footing, we need to prioritize our most valuable resource, the American worker. And the first step is listening to Americans on the front lines of our economy, hearing their stories and their ideas for improving life for their families, their neighbors, and our country. The people of West Virginia are resilient, but life is undeniably harder than it was just two years ago. Communities like Petersburg have seen their voices drowned out by special interest in Washington, calling for more spending and more regulation that has fueled the fire of inflation. For many Americans, it feels like Washington has forgotten all about them. In West Virginia, the cost of living has increased 15.1% since President Biden took the oath of office, costing families a total of $7,000 and counting. House Ways and Means Chair Jason Smith of Missouri speaking at a field hearing, the House Ways and Means Committee's first hearing of the new Congress in Petersburg, West Virginia. You're listening to Washington Today. Welcome back to Washington Today. President Biden is back in Washington after spending the weekend at Camp David working on his State of the Union address. In a new Washington Post-ABC News poll, 62% of Americans think the president has accomplished, quote, not very much or, quote, little or nothing in his first two years in office. We'll hear more about the State of the Union coming up in just a few minutes. The Justice Department has charged two people with conspiracy to damage energy facilities. U.S. Attorney Eric Barron and a top FBI official said suspects Sarah Beth Clendaniel and Brandon Clint Russell were fueled by a racist extremist ideology in hopes of damaging the power grid that serves Baltimore. We'll hear more about that coming up in just a few minutes as well. After sitting out the past two Republican presidential primaries, the Conservative Political Action Committee Americans for Prosperity Action has announced it will endorse a Republican candidate in 2024. 
Emily Seidel, Americans for Prosperity CEO and a top advisor at AFP Action, wrote in a memo released Sunday that the group is, quote, prepared to support a candidate in the Republican presidential primary who can lead our country forward and who can win. The memo goes on to say, quote, to write a new chapter for our country, we need to turn the page on the past. So the best thing for the country would be to have a president in 2025 who represents a new chapter. And more on that Washington Post ABC News poll. You can see it at WashingtonPost.com. The poll also showed that 36% of Americans surveyed said that they thought the president had accomplished, quote, a great deal or a good amount. The Hill's Alexander Bolton writes that the poll shows, quote, the challenge Biden and Democrats in Congress face in selling their accomplishments to voters before the 2024 presidential election. Here's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre talking about the poll and how it might affect tomorrow night's State of the Union. A number of surveys, including from AP over the weekend, showed that the uh, majority of Democrats don't want the president uh, uh, to seek re-election. They, uh, they're looking for a new generation of concerns about his age. Um, without getting into whether or not the president will, uh, will, will announce, does the president believe that he has to address those concerns from his own constituents? So, um, I, as you just laid out, I'm going to be very careful, covered by the Hatch Act. don't want to get into uh, the specifics of what 2024 is going to look like or any underlying uh, components of that. The president has been very clear. He intends to run. Um, and, you know, I think the way that we should look at this is uh, what we saw from the midterms, right? I think that's a big, really important uh, uh, point there where the president laid out the policy, right? He's the one that laid out the policy for senators and congressional members uh, to to really have a, a, a midterms that did not lead to a red wave, right? We saw what happened in the Senate. Uh, we saw that, yes, uh, Republicans now have Congress, but by slim majority. We were told it was going to be more than 60 seats, and it's not bad at all. And that's because the president went out there, spoke directly to the American people, and laid out what it is that we have done the last two years, how we've built. You've heard uh, from Brian Deese just moments ago. He took many, many questions laying out the president's economic plan, how it's working, but how there's still more work to do, but essentially talking through the different policies, the different policies that became that became legislation that turned into law. That was, that was historic. And all of those pieces Matter. And I think the State of the Union, he'll have an opportunity to speak directly to the American people, not just Congress, not just Congress, uh, to talk about what we have done uh, the last, what he has done the last two years, and how he sees uh, the future of this country. And so, I'm not going to get into what the person, what the president should respond to. I think, uh, you know, the president always says this: watch him, watch him, and see see what he does. Uh, and I think he has a record over the last two years that shows that he has delivered. And that's the numbers that we're going to pay attention to, right? We're going to pay attention to unemployment, how it's been down uh, more than 53 years, a historic unemployment. We're going to pay attention to uh, more than almost 12 million jobs that has been created under this president. We're going to pay uh, attention to the 800,000 manufacturing jobs that has been created under this president. And I think that's what we're going to continue to work on, and that's what we're going to continue to speak to. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. And a former White House press secretary will be giving the Republican response tomorrow night. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was former President Trump's press secretary between 2017 and 2019. She is now the governor of Arkansas. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tweeted out this video earlier today about her appearance tomorrow night. I, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, do solemnly swear... We're here to celebrate this momentous occasion. I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of Arkansas. 
a huge moment for the state of Arkansas and for girls especially. I will faithfully discharge the duties of governor of the state of Arkansas. Definitely turning a new page for Arkansas. So help me God. Congratulations, Governor. Love, Sarah. We are so proud of Arkansas. She has the heart of Arkansas. She has a lot of character and she has great ideas. She stands out because she wants to make our state stand out from the rest of the nation. She brings a new, fresh perspective. She's going to do amazing things. She's got real vision for what the future could hold for us. She's a real person, and I think that makes her more relatable. What I think really sets Sarah apart is her heart. Sarah cares about people, and it doesn't matter who you are. You matter to Sarah. Part of a video that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy tweeted out earlier today about the Republican response giving uh, scheduled to give by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You can find C-SPAN's coverage of the State of the Union and the Republican response at 8 p.m. tomorrow night here on C-SPAN Radio. You can also watch on C-SPAN, C-SPAN Now. That's our free mobile video app or online at cspan.org. Both the House and Senate are in this week. House members will vote later in the week to end a CDC rule requiring COVID-19 vaccinations for foreign travelers entering the U.S. They'll also vote on two joint resolutions opposing recent Washington, D.C. city council actions. One would block undocumented immigrants from voting in city elections. The other reverses a recent decision to reduce penalties for certain crimes. The Senate returns tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern. Senators will debate and later vote on DeAndrea Benjamin to be a U.S. Court of Appeals judge. And Washington Post's Congress reporter Liz Goodwin says she expects criminal justice reform to be one of the main issues in President Biden's speech tomorrow night. Yeah, well, the State of the Union, it's tomorrow already. And I think, as we talked about earlier, the um, balloon issue is going to be kind of hanging over that. And Biden is expected to address that in some way. House Republicans have been banding about the idea of maybe passing a resolution disapproving of how uh, his administration handled that. Um, So that's going to be one factor for sure tomorrow. Another another issue is the criminal justice issue. Uh, There's been a lot of pressure on Biden to, from Democrats, to address um, the Tyree Nichols situation and push for renewed talks on criminal justice reform on the Hill. Those broke down a couple of years ago and nothing ended up getting passed um, to address um, any of the kind of police brutality issues that people were uh, raising in, in the wake of George Floyd's death. So he, uh, Nichols' parents are going to be at the State of the Union. Um, there's reporting today in uh, Politico that Corey, Representative Cory Bush has um, uh, Michael Brown's father, um, another um, person who would be pushing for criminal justice reform is going to be in the audience. So that's another um, issue that people are waiting to see if Biden will be addressing. He has said, you know, part of his focus is emphasizing everything that the administration did in the past two years when they had unified control of Washington, um, infrastructure bill, chips, um, pieces of legislation like that that were bipartisan that got through and that he's going to frame as this investment in um, in America. And, you know, everyone's also wondering when is he going to officially announce if he's running for president again? And in a way, this is sort of a kickoff of a potential 
reelection as well. And you wrote a piece recently, Liz, Liz Goodwin, along with your colleagues, about the police reform talks are back in Congress, but you wrote there's little hope for a deal. Can you explain that part of it? Yeah, the police reform talks, um, you know, they were completely dead. And after the Nichols incident, there's people are talking to each other again. There are some Republicans and Democrats talking about what can be done. But the tone is really not uh, very optimistic. So some Republicans who were involved in the talks that died previously, like John Cornyn, Lindsey Graham, they are saying, listen, we're in a divided government now. We weren't, you know, that we weren't able to do this when it was all Democrats who mostly wanted to get police reform done. Now with the House Republican, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen, essentially. So I think... Um, the combination of the divided government and some Republicans who were interested in making this deal a few years ago sounding a little bit down on it um, has not given people a ton of hope in this moment. But Senator Tim Scott and Senator Cory Booker are talking again. They're the ones that led the deal that fell apart last time. So there is some movement on the Hill. Let's talk about what House Republicans are doing since they control that chamber this week, uh, the House Oversight Wednesday kicks off its probe of Twitter and Hunter Biden laptop story. What do you know about that hearing? Yeah, so this hearing um, is interesting because it is focusing mostly on the issue of um, social media and alleged bias in how social media works, uh, even though it does touch on the Hunter Biden story, which House Republicans are obviously very interested in pursuing as well. It's um, it's kind of a backdoor into that issue because the the witnesses for the hearing will be former Twitter executives. It is focused on Twitter and the decision um, not to run New York Post story uh, about uh, Hunter's laptop in the way right before the 2020 election. So this is something that you know Elon Musk, who recently bought Twitter, has been talking about nonstop on his platform. He came to the Capitol. He visited Speaker McCarthy uh, recently, their friends. So this is an issue that Republicans are kind of taking up on his behalf. And I think for them, they feel like it hits a couple key um, issues for them. One is, uh, you know, supposed bias in the media and social media. And then the other is um, drawing attention to uh, the president's son and potentially unsavory behavior of his um, so it's kind of a two-for-one situation. Washington Post Congress reporter Liz Goodwin on today's Washington Journal. You can see more at cspan.org forward slash Washington Journal and the C-SPAN Now video app. The Justice Department charged two people today with conspiracy to damage U.S. energy facilities. U.S. Attorney Eric Barron and a top FBI official said suspects Sarah Beth Clendaniel and Brandon Clint Russell were fueled by a racist extremist ideology to damage the power grid that serves Baltimore. Here is U.S. Attorney Barron. As the criminal complaint alleges, Clendaniel and Russell conspired and took steps to shoot multiple electrical substations in the Baltimore area, aiming to, quote, completely destroy this whole city. But these plans were stopped thanks to the swift action and collaboration of our federal, state, and local enforcement partners, law enforcement partners. Together, we are using every legal means necessary to keep Marylanders safe 
and to disrupt hate-fueled violence. Suspect Brandon Russell has previously been described by federal officials as a founder of a neo-Nazi group. In 2018, he was sentenced to five years in prisons on explosive charges. Federal prison records show that he was released in August 2021. According to the court affidavit, Sarah Clendaniel told an FBI informant about plans to attack five substations around Baltimore in an effort to cause widespread blackouts. She also talked about weapons she already had to carry out the attack and ones she would need. Here's FBI Special Agent in Charge, Thomas Sobosinski. The accused were not just talking, but taking steps to fulfill their threats and further their extremist goals. Russell provided instructions and location information. He described attacking the power transformers as the greatest thing somebody can do. In her own words, Clendaniel said she was determined to do this. She added, it would lay this city to waste. Their actions threaten the electricity and heat of our homes, hospitals, and businesses. Identifying and disrupting terrorist plots, both foreign and domestic, is one of the FBI's top priorities. Constant teamwork with our partners helped detect the scheme and stop this threat. I am grateful for the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, the Baltimore County Police Department, and the Maryland State Police, as well as other law enforcement and private sector partners who work every day to prevent this type of violence from affecting our community. To those extremists looking to disrupt society and cause chaos in our communities, we will not allow nor will we tolerate this. We work every day to mitigate these threats, including those to our critical infrastructure, and identify those criminals seeking to inflict harm. According to the Washington Post, a report issued in September by the Program on Extremism at George Washington University found that for the past six years, white supremacists have been quote, laser-focused on conducting attacks on the energy sector as a pretext for the anticipated collapse of American government and society. Both suspects were arrested at their respective homes without incident and made an initial court appearance earlier today. Again, our State of the Union coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow night here on C-SPAN Radio. You can also watch on C-SPAN, C-SPAN.org, and C-SPAN Now. That's our free mobile video app. That's also where you can find this program as a podcast. You can also go to cspan.org forward slash podcasts. And if you'd like more on the stories that are shaping Washington, subscribe to our evening newsletter, Word for Word. You can subscribe to that at cspan.org forward slash connect. I'm Gary Sterikoff. Thanks a lot for listening today to Washington Today. Today.